Isn't it great to worship uh, God together and just reorientate our hearts and discover again what's important? The, the passage that we're going to look at today is Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. And I'd love to read through that together. I'm going to read the whole lot. And just to, as a reminder, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and the, the book of Ephesians explores this theme about how we can be the people of God. In the first half of Ephesians, it focuses on God and who God is, what he's done for us. And in the second half of the book from chapter 4 verse 1 onwards, we are focusing on how can we be the people of God in this world. Uh, and so I'd like, to, I'd like to read through uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. And it says there, follow God's example, or be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light, and the Lord live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, uh, this passage starts off, um, it says, in the words we read, follow God's example, or some translations have it which are more literal, be imitators of God. I don't know how that makes you feel, but uh, it's certainly very challenging. Be imitators of God and maybe even burdensome. Maybe you're thinking, imitators, we're, we're, we're mere people, mere human beings. How can we, mere human beings, even uh, begin to start imitating God? But here it is in Scripture. And even some of you may think, well, that's just a bit arrogant. How can we as mere human beings think we could ever imitate God, the God of the universe, the God who brought everything into being by the word of his mouth, the God who sustains all life 
in this earth and throughout the whole universe. Be imitators of God. Burdensome, arrogant. But it's within a context. And the context is be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So the, the context there is that parents and children who are being brought up, who are being encouraged to live uh, flourishing and worthwhile lives by, by copying their parents, by being guided by their parents. I don't know if you have any habits or turns of phrase that you've inherited from your parents. Those things that you vowed you'd never say, but then you find that you're saying those, like, you know, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well, and that's something that falls off my lips, and I realize that it comes from my own mum. There's uh, another habit that I've got from my father, so I don't know, uh, when you go on holiday in our house, I'm in charge of parking the car. No one else. It's my job. And nothing will appear over the line of the rear window. Everything has to be below the line of the rear, uh, the rear screen in the car. If it doesn't below, fit below that line, it's not coming on holiday with us. They, they laugh at me in our house, but uh, you know, there's, there's some good safety reasons. You don't want to be hit in the back of the head. You want a clear view out the back window when you're driving down to Devon or wherever. But I have to admit that I got that from my own dad. He was the one in our house who packed the car and nothing went above the level of the rear window. So this is the context. Imitate God as dearly loved children, still challenging, but it's the context of a loving family. And just before we, we explore um, what it means to walk in love, to, to, to live a life of love, just a little aside that the, the words used in the, the passage in, in the Greek, for, for it's translated live in most translations, but it is actually the word for walk. And I think there's something rich and worthwhile in just pausing and thinking about this metaphor for living out our lives as the people of God, and that metaphor of walking. It's another thing that I've inherited from, from my dad, the love of walking, walking in the countryside, walking up hills, and I appreciate him, thank him for introducing me to, to walking. But this metaphor of walking, I think in terms of working out, living out what it means to be the people of God, I think it just starts with a simple step. Our children started walking when they were infants, probably from the, just before they were one years old. They just took one step, simple action. And that simple action is just repeated again and again. And so when we come to thinking about imitating God, behind that, there's those small steps that we can make, those small decisions that build up over time and walking as slow as it is, and there's maybe something in that, the fact that our spiritual development is slow, we don't have to have it all at once. It goes against the culture and that, that we live in where everything has to be instantaneous and fast and delivered by yesterday, but it's slow. Our spiritual life is a walking pace. But if you keep repeating those actions of putting one step in front of the other, you will get to your destination. You can just walk at your own pace, but people cover 
great distances, walking the, the circumference of the globe by just putting one front fruit in front of the other. So as we come to think about this, this command, this encouragement to imitate God, it can start with one small step that we persist in and repeat. And this call is to walk in love. This focus of love we can see throughout the book of Ephesians. Love is mentioned 23 times over 17 verses, which is pretty similar to the number of times mentioned in Romans and 1 Corinthians. I went and counted them. But 1 Corinthians and Romans, they're three times, nearly three times the length in terms of letter, right? And so the density of the language of love in Ephesians, there's something in this, this is something we need to take note of. And in just in verse 1 and 2 of the chapter we read, love is mentioned three times. We are dearly loved. We are encouraged to walk in love. And it says specifically that Christ loved us. You see, this call to imitate God starts with focusing on that prime adjective to describe us as the people of God. We are dearly loved. One word in the Greek, translated in the older versions, is beloved. You're beloved. You're dearly loved. Before you do anything, before you achieve anything, before you say anything, what Paul's saying here is you're dearly loved with a love that is vast beyond measure. A love that drove God, that motivated God to plan on sending Jesus, to plan our adoption as sons and daughters of himself, even before the world began. And a love which focused down in sending Jesus to die for us, as it said, and it says that Jesus, Christ died for us. We are to love in the same way that Jesus loved us, by, by dying for us. But before we look at Jesus dying for us as an example, and, and Jesus dying for us is an example, it shows us what God's love is like, there's something more fundamental there that when it says that Christ died for us, it said that he did something on our behalf, something that we couldn't do. He changed the whole cosmos forever when he died and rose again. He died in our place. He died and took the sin that should have been on us. He died and took that on himself and changed our future forever. To know this love, to know what it is, be loved can give us a great security that there's nothing can get between us and the love of God no power is more powerful than that love nothing that we do can get beyond the reach of his love and the book of Ephesians is particularly important to me when I went off to university um, I've just seen my, my two girls go off to university and uh, it seemed like not that long ago that I was go heading off. But I was heading off to university and the first few days I did feel all at sea a bit. I felt, you know, it's just me. There's, there's no backup. It, I, I'm not relying on my parents to defeat me and to wash my clothes and do all those other things. But just 
just the stepping out into that independent life. Uh, and I remember just, some of it was great, but some of it was just that feeling of lostness at times, and just like, well, am I going to make friends? And what's the course going Am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to be able to make it? And I just remember praying uh, one night, just, you know, and I remember specifically saying, you know, the, praying to the God of my parents. It was like there was a, a distance between me and God that, um, and, and that's, that's the words I used, God of my parents, I, I need you to show up. I just went to sleep. And in the morning, I'd been brought up to, to read the scriptures. And in the morning, I turned uh, to Ephesians and started reading there. And uh, in, that, in those words that I read, it said that I'd, because of the word I had believed, I'd been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And those words bore into me, were branded into my heart, and directed the rest of my life ever since. And this whole idea of being in Christ, of being in that place of security, of being completely loved by the God of the universe, has never left me from that moment. It completely changed the direction of my life at university and of my life ever since. But that has been a security, an assurance, if you will, of who I am. And yes, sometimes I forget it. And sometimes I go seeking after other securities. But to be in Christ, I'd, I'd been brought up in the church, I'd listened to countless sermons, I'd been to Bible classes, and I'd never consciously realized that it actually said that the people of God are in Christ before. But it's all the way through the New Testament, but there was a revelation to me that that's where I was now because of what Jesus had done. We start the spiritual journey. The first step that we take is actually realizing that we're dearly loved by the God of the whole universe. And it's from that realization and it's from that reality that this encouragement to command to go and walk in love, live a life of love comes. Because if we are loved, we have the security of knowing that God will always be there, then we are free to love others. We have the example of God, we are free to love others. And so this command comes in the context of you're already loved, now become those, act like, live like those who have the security and who are already loved. And become the children of God by displaying that love. That love which is marked by giving rather than taking. Which is marked by a focus on others rather than a focus on yourself that loves to the point of being willing to sacrifice and a love which is directed to pleasing God. This is what we're asked to walk in. How do we do that? And I think we do it like we've been doing this morning. We've been gathering together as God's people. We've been coming together to focus our attention again on this God who sent Jesus to die for us. And we give ourselves to that. We take a moment out of our week and our lives to just worship God again. And I think the first step we can take is to have regular habits of worship together and alone. 
It puts things into perspective, doesn't it, when we come and say that God is so much bigger, as Mary prayed. The problems, the issues, even the issues of the world, let alone my own problems. We come to a God who's bigger than all that, who loves us dearly. And so we need to um, put into our lives habits of worship. How else can we imitate God and walk in love? I want to focus on several verses that Paul, um, that Paul, I think, is making the same point. So further down the passage, it says there in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. Some, some versions say discern, make a judgment about what pleases the Lord. In verse 14, awake sleeper. He says, stop sleepwalking. It's not time to be sleeping. Pay attention. In verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you're walking. Walk wisely. To walk wisely, wisdom is different from knowledge. Knowledge is where well, you know loads of stuff. Wisdom is the ability to put it into practice, to apply it in the right context at the right time. And so these three verses... What Paul is saying is, work out what pleases the Lord. You, you have something to do here. It isn't just going to happen now that you've become, come to God, now that you're following Jesus. Your life of imitating God isn't just going to happen. And Paul speaks of that in chapter 4, when we just spontaneously sort of live a life. We just give in to our own feelings and just go with what feels good to me. Paul speaks to that. In, in chapter 4, where he, he talks about actually our hearts being darkened. Our, heart, our, our lives left our own devices. We just follow our own lustful devices, doing what pleases me. And so what Paul is saying, no, you need to make a judgment here. Find out what pleases the Lord. It's an intentional activity. We can't, just can't go with the flow. A good picture is, is walking hill walking. So I've said, already said I like walking. So a few weekends ago, I thought we'll get another, another day's hill walking in and camping overnight. So I went with my brother up to um, near Loch Lagan, walked into the hills on the Friday night. Beautiful, mild October evening, pitched tents. And uh, the forecast for the next day uh, was looking a bit ropey. Pulses of heavy rain coming through from the west with strong southwesterlies gusting to 40 miles an hour and we thought yes brilliant let's go hill walking and part of our route started off on a path which is easy enough we walked up into the clouds and then we had to take a route off the path I don't know if you've ever walked in thick cloud where there's no path but it is very very easy to get disorientated but the idea is that you've got your map based on the fact you know where you are uh, you take a bearing a compass bearing to know where to, in the direction that you want to go and you just follow that compass bearing. Sounds easy. You just have to keep checking in on the compass bearing. But the ground that we were covering had many cliffs, it had boulders, it had marshy areas, it had hills were in the way and dips and hollows. It had obstacles. And the only way to get to our destination, to the top of the Monroe that we were climbing, was to keep in constant eye of the, of the compass, keep, keep directions. We would maybe, for 20, 25 metres, say, right, that, that little boulder, we're, we're going to walk there, and then we'll take another 
bearing said, well, we need to avoid that. We need to walk around that, but we'll, we'll aim for that big rock or that strange colored bush or, or whatever. We're taking constant bearings. And what Paul is saying is that's what you need to do. The landscape in which you have to walk out this, this, this life of love, there's obstacles, there's things that are going to get in your way. And if you want to keep on that walk, walking in love, walking in a way that imita is imitating God, you need to keep constant touch, uh, not with a compass and a map, but with the living God, with Jesus. What's he saying? And we can hear his call to our lives personally. And we need to spend time cultivating that, those habits of listening to God by reading the Bible. We need to be, cultivate a lifelong habit of looking at the life of Jesus to see how he lived. How did he encounter strangers and people from different ethnic groups and backgrounds? How did he relate to them? We need to look at what he did and follow his example. What does he say about how do we use our money? What does he say about family relationship? We need to look at the life of Jesus and keep that constant connection with him. Keep referring to the compass and the map so that we can keep in the right direction. Find out what pleases the Lord. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes we get it wrong. When I was newly married, we had been married for one year, and for our first wedding anniversary, I thought, let's go away for the night. Let's have a night away in a hotel, saved up some money, and I thought, let's, let's make it a complete surprise to Helen, my wife. That's, that's romantic, that'll be good. And it, it was okay, but the complete surprise bit didn't go down too well. Helen doesn't like surprises, she likes a bit of forewarning before things. She doesn't like things being pounced upon her. You know, minor things like an overnight bag, things like that. Uh, and so I learned from that situation and I haven't pulled that surprise on her again. So yeah, it's finding out what pleases the Lord. We've been given this responsibility and Paul, as much as he says, you can't just go with your gut feeling talked about that but neither is it just about following the rules a rule for every situation the rules and laws we just keep coming keep coming now Paul takes a different way he say he gives some guidelines so when you're navigating out in the hills um, quite often you look for handrails on the map it might be a short path it might be a linear feature like a fence line or a stream and what Paul's basically doing to to navigate this landscape of our life he gives some handrails, some pointers, some guidelines, but they're not laws. Because if we had a law for every single thing, it would just keep ramping up. And life isn't like that. It isn't just simple cause and effect. In this situation, do this. In this situation, do that. No, he wants a living relationship with us. He's a living God, and so he wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to keep coming back and checking in. Am I on the right path? So another, um, I've this image of the fact that there's obstacles in our landscape. I think the next thing that Paul focuses on and that I'd like to focus on in this passage is the fact that he talks about counterfeit loves. So from verse 3, 
um, verse 3 and 4. Um, it says there, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And it seems to be a bit of disjunction. As you read through that, there's you know, imitate love, you know, imitate God, walk in love in verse 1 and 2, and then suddenly, as it seems to be a bit of a turn, you know, what's this about sexual immorality and impurity and greed? But actually, what Paul's saying is there's, there's counterfeit loves out there. If you're not grounded in the love of God, if you don't have that knowledge that you're loved completely by God, you'll go and seek those, uh, you'll seek that sense of belonging and sense of worth in other things. And those are counterfeit loves in sexual immorality, immorality and greed. And these things are the complete opposite of the nature of the love of God. We've already said that this love of God, it's, it's, it gives, it's focused on others. It gives to the point of sacrifice and is directed towards God. But if we look at these behaviors that Paul talks about, they're the complete opposite. They're focused on getting rather than giving. They're focused on self, on me, rather than others. They're focused on self-satisfaction rather than sacrifice. They're turned away from God rather than turned towards God. And that's a danger. And Paul brings that up in verse 5. Maybe a hard thing to say. He says, the people who practice these things, there's no inheritance. They don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God challenging hard words to hear maybe but what he's saying is if your aim and the direction of your life is to become like Jesus to imitate God then and if that's your destination it's also possible to walk away from that destination and what he's saying is if you pursue these imitation loves these counterfeit loves you're walking away from the destination that God's calling you to. You can't be in two places at once. There's an invitation to walk into the inheritance of God, to, to, to get, let the love of God saturate and soak your life and live out a love for others. And then there's an and but there's another way to, to focus on yourself. And the, so it isn't, there's just something inherent in the fact that there's a decision to be made. Are we going to walk towards imitating God or are we going to walk away from that? So there's a warning. The landscape has obstacles. Let's take two examples of how that works out in practice. Sexual immorality, my understanding and belief of the New Testament is that sexual immorality is any sexual practice undertaken outside of marriage between a man and a woman? And something that's happening in our society and has been happening for, for years and is starting to happen in, in the church is that people decide that, well, I'm not going to wait for marriage until we start living together. Just a small thing, just, well, we're going to get married one day. I hear people say, we're just, you know, 
It's cheaper to have one place. We'll not wait. And there's a misunderstanding in the fact that the, the God who gives these commands and encourages us to live in this way is the God who counts us as his daily loved children. He knows what's best, best for us. But there's something also in these acts that go against the nature of the love of God where it's focused on me and not others, where it's focused on self-satisfaction and not sacrifice, where it's turned away from God and not towards God. And that's why these are counterfeit loves and counterfeit ways of living. But isn't it good to know that we have a God who sent Jesus to die for us so we can be forgiven? where we can get back on the way, the walk in light, walk in love that he encourages and commands us to do. Another example, greed. That is counter to the love of God. Greed, just getting things to satisfy me, putting me at the center of my life rather than focusing on others and focusing on God. One of the ways that greed is worked out in our life is through the clothes we wear. Fast fashion apparently is a thing. I've been educated by my daughters in fast fashion. Apparently some people go out and buy a set of clothes and just wear it once and then just, well, it's so cheap, we'll just chuck it away. Don't even take it to a charity shop. And behind that, to me, it's just greed. Behind that, though, is a misunderstanding that people are loved by God, that they have to fill that space with other loves. They have to project an image of themselves, which is to, to get the approval of others, maybe, or to feel good about themselves, and there's nothing wrong with nice clothes. I like nice clothes. I like to look nice, look, look my best, express who I am through, through what I wear. But there's something that goes against the grain of the love of God because the clothes that we wear are made by people who are given wages that we would never even look at. Wages that aren't enough to feed them and their families. In processes that find them working in factories and that are un almost uninhabitable for 14 hours a day just to get a bit of money to get a bit of food using dyes and chemicals that wouldn't even, wouldn't even cross our borders if they weren't part of our clothes because they're so poisonous and end up poisoning waterways and water supplies. Is that love? Those people may be on the other part of the world, but greed, it focuses on us and we start ignoring the people around us. But we have a God who wants us to be his dearly loved children, who loves us with a, a love vast beyond measure, who sent Jesus to die for us so that we can be forgiven and turn and follow his ways of love. And as we finish, you might be saying, so what, what does that mean for me, Steve? Well, I've already said that we need to keep attuned with God and the way we keep attuned with God is by worshiping him together and alone. Habits of worship. 
And I've already said we need to immerse ourselves in the ways of Jesus by becoming fully acquainted with his life through the, the, the Gospels and fully acquainted with the life of the early church and what they said about following Jesus in the New Testament. But I think there's something else from this passage. Paul is writing to a community of believers in Ephesians. We are a community of people together. And these things are to be worked out together in community. What does it mean to love God in the modern workplace? Well, if we're together and we have conversations together, we can watch each other and see how one another works out this life of love. How do we treat our colleagues and our employees? We can have those conversations and, and, uh, and work those things out together in community. And that's part of the reason why in this church we've, we, uh, we have communities. We focus on communities and make those a priority. We can't do this alone. We can't imitate God and walk a life of love that he wants us to on our own. We need to do it together in community for encouraging one another and for someone to come up behind, um, put a shoulder around us and say, it's okay, yes, you've, you've fallen, you've gone the wrong way, but let's, let's pick you up and let's go on together. We need that encouragement. And I think it's about developing habits of loving others. I think it's about lifting our eyes off ourselves and looking around, lifting our eyes to God, yes, but looking around and seeing one another stopping, going at walking pace and starting to put little steps into our lives, little habits that help us love one another. In our community at the moment, we've, uh, we're very slowly, it's, uh, it's not even at walking pace, very slowly reading a book by Michael Frost called Surprise the World. And in there, he encourages uh, people to, to develop five habits that will help you express this life that I've been talking about, this life of love. And we haven't got beyond the first habit yet. We're only on bless, but to bless others is to love them well. And we've been experimenting with that, and we've been coming back in our communities. Well, how did you get on? It was like, well, it was an awful week. It was really busy. I, I, I hardly lifted my, my, my head up to, to look at other people. But next week, well, you know, in the next couple of weeks, well, this is what I'm going to do about it. And so we're encouraging one another. And we've given our homegrown veg to people. We've listened to someone who has, uh, who's, who's got a problem, who has, a, has difficulty in their lives. We've spent some time writing cards to friends, colleagues and neighbours and uh, take, taking the brave step of completely going against the culture of the workplace and giving someone a card saying, I really appreciate this about you, love working with you for these reasons. And the response has been, been great, people have liked it, people haven't been freaked out. One of my colleagues said, why are you doing this? And I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus. And a group of us have, have for reading this book and says, one of the ways we can put habits of blessing. And he's like, wow, it's great. Small, tiny steps. I don't think we've made much sacrifice yet. A bit of time to take a card out, a bit of time to think about other people, a bit of time out of our busy lives, maybe a bit of money to buy someone a lunch or something like that. Sacrifice has not been very much, but I think we believe that it's a small step, that first step in that walk of imitating Jesus. I'd love to pray for us as, as I finish. Father, thank you.
Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent Jesus for us to show us how much you love us, to free us from anything that will get in the way of our relationship with you and get in our, the way of walking a life that is pleasing to you and that you've overcome anything that will get in the way of walking a life of love. Father, we come humbly and, and say sorry for the times that we've walked in our own direction. And we ask you for your help. Would you give us your Holy Spirit in bountiful supplies that we can more fully become the dearly loved children of God that you've called us to be? May you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can go out and love the world so that others can see how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.